Meridian Health is taking care of New Jersey. We proudly present Meridian Physician Podcasts. Here's Bill Klaproth. Do you sometimes feel your heart pounding or racing? It could be atrial fibrillation. My guest today is Dr. Charles Koo, cardioelectrophysiologist with Meridian Cardiovascular Network. Dr. Koo, thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. So first question, what is atrial fibrillation or AFib? Uh, atrial fibrillation is a chaotic uh, upper chamber heart disorder where the upper chambers beat so quickly the uh, mechanical function of the heart uh, doesn't perform, uh, what happens is that you lose that efficiency of the heart, and it can sometimes make the heart beat very quickly. Uh, the heart rate is typically very irregular, and uh, patients can uh, start to suffer from congestive heart failure. So what is the general cause of AFib? Uh, it's a good question. There's, there's, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, most of it's related to age. You can have coexisting medical conditions that can be strongly associated with it. So things like sleep apnea, high blood pressure, diabetes, open heart surgery, congestive heart failure, those are things associated with it, uh, thyroid conditions, so on and so forth. So the list is pretty broad. Uh, most of it is related to some type of aging process of the heart. Now, are there symptoms with this? Uh, I, I know you said it's a, the rapid, you know, a chaotic heartbeat. Do people feel this? Are there other symptoms? Yeah, uh, fair question. So uh, patients can develop symptoms for, from this for sure. Uh, some patients develop the sensation that their heart is pounding out of control. They feel short of breath, uh, dizziness. Sometimes they can experience chest pain. It depends on the patient. Uh, some patients are apathetic or what we consider to be highly asymptomatic where they don't really realize it at all. Some patients are totally unaware of their atrial fibrillation. I'd say the majority of patients are aware, uh, especially if it's relatively new. It's been if it's been ongoing for a while, some patients make adjustments and they get accustomed to it, so they don't really report any symptoms to it. So how do you diagnose it? How do you find it out in someone that has it if they're not having any symptoms? Uh, generally, it's a, it's a diagnosis made on the EKG. Uh, once we have a confirmatory EKG, uh, it, it'll demonstrate it for us. Uh, sometimes you can actually listen to the heart, although that's a little bit difficult to do for most uh, folks who don't have cardiac training. Uh, but for the most part, it's an electrocardiographic diagnosis. So this sounds pretty scary. I mean, anytime you hear uh, about somebody with a heart condition, especially something like this where the heart is, it sounds like it's beating out of control. How serious is this? I mean, can people die from this? Uh, there is a certain risk associated with it. It's mainly related to your other medical conditions. There's a risk stratification formula that we use to figure out whether folks are going to get sick from it, particularly when we talk about strokes. Um, it, it depends on the individual, generally speaking. Uh, the big worry is the risk of stroke uh, and or heart failure. Uh, those are the two big comorbidities associated with atrial fibrillation. Are there other complications from AFib besides a stroke or heart failure? Uh, well, you can be very short of breath. Uh, you know, It depends on the patient's capacity uh, and their ability to uh, adjust uh, for their change in physiology. Uh, some patients feel extremely short of breath. Um, some folks can pass out depending on how fast they're going. Uh, those are the main side effects uh, associated with it. So, Dr. Koo, once someone is diagnosed with AFib, how do you treat it? It's a great question. Uh, there, again, the two concerns are uh, risk of stroke, uh, heart failure, and or symptom control. So, um, we have a point system that we use to decide whether a patient is worthy 
to have a blood thinner uh, in their uh, on their medical regimen. Uh, so that it consists of things like heart failure, high blood pressure, your age. There are two cutoffs for that, age 65 and 75. Uh, diabetes, prior stroke, uh, your gender. If you're a female patient, your risk is higher. If you have prior vascular disease, your risk is higher, so on and so forth. Uh, in terms of symptom control, you know, we generally ask the patients how they feel. If their burden is very high, uh, that would mandate a more aggressive therapy, and a more um, aggressive program to try to get them back into normal heart rhythm. So you mentioned medications such as blood thinners. Are there other, uh, you know, I've heard of an electric shock, or is there a situation where a pacemaker is used? Uh, correct, yeah. So when we try to restore the heart rhythm, out of atrial fibrillation back to normal, uh, we can do that with a variety of ways. We can uh, cardiovert or just gently shock the heart back to normal heart rhythm. Uh, there's a list of cardiac medications that we use specifically for this. Uh, it's a very long list. All of them have good things and bad things associated with it. Um, certainly, most of us would try a couple of drugs first before we uh, divert to a, a surgical strategy. Uh, there's an operation called an ablation for atrial fibrillation we do in some patients. Um, you know, if they qualify. Um, so generally speaking, you can jolt the heart back to a normal heart rhythm. You can try to keep it out of atrial fibrillation or convert it with medications. Uh, and if you need to, you can physically go inside the heart and try to uh, cauterize the electrical tissue responsible for atrial fibrillation. So for someone with AFib, can it be cured? Are these one-time events or once you have it, you have it and it's got to be managed for a lifetime? Uh, well, a, a small percentage of patients can have a curative ablation, that is for sure. Uh, I'd say the majority of patients, you manage it or contain it. Um, I think that's a more truthful statement uh, when it is uh, regarding the uh, the ablation for atrial fibrillation. The, the surgeries work fairly well. They're not perfect operations, uh, but they are better than the heart rhythm medications that we do have at hand. So that's why uh, some of us will try to convince patients that an ablation is probably worth their time, especially if they've tried a couple of med medications and it hasn't been terribly helpful. So with AFib, so what I'm getting here is that is this a, it comes and goes at times. You can manage it, but it, are there certain events that make it worse? Like somebody's having a normal day and all of a sudden, uh oh, I, it's coming on. Something my my AFib is here and my I feel my heart racing. Is that true? Are there certain events that bring AFib on? Uh, in terms of triggers for atrial fibrillation, there there is a list of things that can trigger atrial fibrillation. So things like intrinsic uh, lung problems, uh, congestive heart failure, high blood pressure, uh, ischemic heart disease, heart attacks, technically thyroid conditions, they can trigger atrial fibrillation. Uh, there are other heart rhythms that uh, trigger atrial fibrillation that's not atrial fibrillation. So there's something called SVT or supraventricular tachycardia. Uh, that can certainly trigger atrial fibrillation. So there's a, a long list of things that can be um, the precipice for, for atrial fibrillation in some patients. What about things like energy drinks? Uh, you know, that's, it, that's an interesting question. So energy drinks, depending on what you drink and how much you drink, uh, contain a variety of substances, uh, including high levels of caffeine, um, there's all sorts of uh, energy boosters, the vitamins. Uh, there's a mishmash of things that you have to be a little bit careful. It's hard to get sick from caffeine unless you overdo it. Um, and there's mm -hmm. certainly many, many examples of folks who have passed away or gotten very sick because they were caffeine 
intoxicated. So in energy drinks, you know, if you kept it to a common sense level of consumption, you're not going to get acutely ill. But if you overdo it, um, you know, there's a good chance you could get sick from the uh, active ingredient inside these beverages. I better put that uh, third cup of coffee down then. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it was probably not the case. You know, I think if you if you're addicted to this stuff and you drink large volumes, yeah, you can get pretty sick from it. So let me ask you this. Are there things that people can do on their own for AFib, such as eat a particular diet or exercise or quit smoking, things like that, that help prevent it? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. So uh, there was a recent uh, scientific trial from Australia uh, that looked at precisely this question. So long story short, essentially they took folks who are a little bit heavy or very heavy, and they committed them to a weight loss program. And it turns out just pure weight loss or weight control, and it's not much, it's really about 10 to 20% of your your initial body weight. If you can lose that weight and keep it off, the incidence of AFib drops quite a bit. Uh, more importantly, if you're able to lose that weight before your ablation, your ablation or your surgery tends to work better, which I find very interesting. So in other words, if if folks can keep themselves healthy through diet, exercise, and common sense things, you can actually get your body to get rid of the AFib, at least in part, uh, which I think is a, a very, very intriguing way of treating this without pills, without an operation, without some of the stuff that we do in the hospital, that, that really that AFib, some forms of AFib could be a marker of just an unhealthy lifestyle and an unhealthy patient. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, well, that's very good to hear. So, I mean, there is kind of, I want to say a bright side, but there is an upside to this that for taking care of yourself, eating a healthy diet, doing all the normal things to stay healthy could potentially uh, help someone with AFib. Well, that's very interesting information. And Dr. Ku, thank you so much for being on with us today. And why should people choose Jersey Shore University Medical Center for their care? Uh, well, you know, we're fortunate to have um, a lot of great technology here in the laboratory. Uh, we have a high-volume laboratory of uh, experienced practitioners who do this operation every single day. Um, the volume here has grown exponentially over the last three to four years due to the hard work of lots of people involved. Uh, a lot of us um, were classically trained in electrophysiology, so we know who to bring to the laboratory and who not to bring to the laboratory. And uh, most of us have uh, a very good philosophy in terms of uh, committing folks to a healthy lifestyle first before uh, thinking about a surgery. So uh, all in all, we have the experience, we have the practitioners and the technology, um, and uh, we're more than happy to help folks with this condition. Dr. Koo, thanks again for your time. You are listening to Physician Podcast with Meridian Health. For more information, please visit meridianhealth.com. That's meridianhealth.com. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thanks for listening.